All right. Hi, Influence. How you doing? Huh? Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Come on, everybody on your feet. You're lazy today. Come on, get up. Ready? All right, say, repeat after me. I am awake. I love Jesus. And I don't want the world to end today. All right, God bless you. Sit down. Let's take our Bibles, open them up to the book of Matthew in the 24th chapter. And as we look together in the Word of God, we're going to, uh, we're going to take a journey on uh, really some things that are going to be pretty exciting um, from the perspective of what's happening in prophecy today and uh, how we can read Scripture. I always say the, the, grace, the best way to read Scripture is take your Bible, take the newspaper, watch online, whatever you do to get your news and see what's happening in the world because there are cultural keys historic keys in Scripture that will guide you down the corridors of prophecy. So we're going to start with this, uh, uh, this reminder of what, who we are and why we exist, and that is that we exist because we are influenced church to influence the world. Let's look at this mission statement. Ready? To influence the world and spread God's fame. You can say this after me if you want, that many... Many may believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's why we exist. We don't exist just to come together, clap our hands, sing some praises, encourage one another. We exist to be a conduit of God's love to this world. We exist to be cultural uh, uh, land, uh, I was going to say landmines, that sounds bad. We exist to be cultural keys to help people understand what's happening in their world today. And so I want to show you some of that. We're going to talk about lawlessness. Now, when we think about lawlessness, I want to just get, if I can, a little bit ethical, a little bit philosophical, a little bit theological on you. Is that okay? Okay, when we think about lawlessness, it, pre-ass- it, it assumes one thing. That is, there is law. And that assumption assumes that there is a lawgiver. If you don't have that assumption, if you live in a world without a God or without a absolute truth or without law, then you live in anarchy. Literally, the definition of anarchy is no law. Now, those who who separate themselves from the divine, they think that we have created this, this foundation of truth somehow or good, let's say good law, apart from God himself. We know that's not true. We know that the foundation of our nation, we know that the foundation of all good society is based on God and the right God. Not just any God, but a God who is just, a God who is holy, a God who reveals himself to mankind in such a way that man can understand and see and, under- and, and connect with that God. So I'm going with this assumption. There is a God. He is a good God. He is a law-giving God. And when man violates that, man becomes what's called lawless. So now let let me give you a couple of uh, things that just to kind of put in your head as we think about this rise of lawlessness in our world. Number one, it is not isolated. It is global. The lawlessness that you're seeing today in our world is not isolated to cities where the economy is bad. It is not isolated to places where somehow they've lost control. Lawlessness exists everywhere globally, 
and I think the highlight of that came at 9-11. We realized that somehow our world was invaded by what we would then describe as terrorism, but we, we could call today lawlessness. And it began almost like a, a, a snowball going down the hill, didn't it? It's like our world changed overnight, only to be accentuated by what happened in North Africa when we began to see this rising up of, of Arab nations, of, of Muslim uh, Brotherhood and Arab Spring, and as they began to take, and you could almost watch it, it was like dominoes running across North Africa up into the Middle East, and the only countries in the Middle East that were able to prevent it were ones that had either a strong enough military or they paid their citizens not to revolt like Saudi Arabia did. They basically said, every citizen who does not revolt, we're going to give you the equivalent of about $3,000 to stay home. And that was all it took to say, yeah, my ideals aren't that great. Okay, but when you watch it, you said, how does that happen? It was called many things. It was blamed on many things. Basically, it was lawlessness. It looked at the law that was there and said, we don't like that law. We don't like the way things are running. So what we're going to do is we're going we're to revolt against that law. The other thing we need to understand about lawlessness and this rise of lawlessness is it is a condition of the heart. It is not simply a condition of the economy. If that were true, then every person who financially were in trouble, was in trouble would find a reason to revolt against society and good government. It's not that. It goes deeper than that. True, when, you're, when the economy is bad, when you don't have enough to eat, when, things, when, when government is oppressive, it gives you every basis to feel like you want to do that. But if you, are set, if you are rooted and grounded in God, you know that that is not the option that you're going to take at that moment. It is not to do wrong because you feel wronged. And it's a great truth for all of us to remember, is it not? I mean, how many here have been wronged in their lifetime? Anybody? Okay, a few people raised their hands. I'm going to assume that means everybody, right? Everybody's been wronged sometime in their life. Does that give you then the right to do wrong because you have been wronged? Now, you might just, uh, you might just kind of do it the, uh, the old Dutch way and just kind of let it just kind of sink in and simmer inside of you and eat you alive. That might be the best way. Or you could do it the biblical way and just kind of confess it before God, turn it over to God, and say, God, I need healing. I need washing that comes from the Spirit of God, from the Word of God. The other thing I want you to understand about this rise of lawlessness, it is prophetic in its significance. Now, what we have to understand about the Word of God and God's divine plan is that God has, has our world set up to begin, and it reaches a point at which God's plan for this planet as we know it is culminated. So that's called a Judeo-Christian worldview. God is the creator. God is the sustainer of all things. God moves and arranges governments and peoples as he will in order to accomplish his divine purpose. And as we move down through that corridor of time, we see that God has a point of culmination when Christ returns, when there is a final judgment, and then God ushers in new heavens and new earth. So we know that that's a part of it. We're not we're not part of this Eastern mysticism where everything is in a cycle and we just go around and around in the, this cyclical view of history. That's not who we are. 
We also are not a part of this, what's called the inevitable progress view of history. That is, everything's just getting better and better and better and better and better and better. That was really popular, by the way, until uh, the Great Depression. In America, everybody's like, oh, it's, we're in a utopia. And then, the Great De- and then World War I came, then the Depression came. They said, you know, maybe this is a bad view of history. What we want to do is get a biblical view of history. Who better to tell us than Jesus? Amen? All right, let's turn in our Bibles, Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to look at just a few isolated verses uh, from what's called the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus sat down with his disciples, those first early verses. They said, Lord, will you tell us? Tell us what, what are the signs, or how will we know the end of the world? See, they were, they were concerned 2,000 years ago. They want to know what it's all about. When people say, well, haven't people always wondered about the end of the world? Haven't they always thought the world was in? Absolutely, but that doesn't mean that we're in the same time. Because what we do is we take prophetic uh, uh, marks along, uh, along this journey. And we say, well, God said this had to happen. Has that happened? That's happened. That's happened, that's happened. Now we know where we are prophetically. The big, the big prophetic signal that came um, on the calendars was when Israel became a nation in 1948, it changed everything. They had not been a people since 691 when Nebuchadnezzar invite, invaded Babylon, destroyed him, took uh, all these captives away to Babylon, and uh, Israel, as we knew it, ceased to be a nation, and it was not a nation from 691 until 1948. For 2,500 years, it did not exist, and yet God said prophetically, I will draw my people back. I will bring them back into the land. I'll bring them in from the north. I will say to Gog and Magog, release my people. I will say to those in the south, down in Ethiopia, release my people. And we saw the Russian uh, release the Jews. We saw the, the airlift coming out of Ethiopia. We saw all this regathering. And now we see, now we see in Israel, a regathered Israel positioned for the next prophetic mark on the clock. We are living in some last days. Now go with me to Matthew chapter 24, verse 11. Here's what Jesus says, then. Now, you could read earlier what happens when you get home, but I just want to take you through this journey. He says, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. And that word end there is the word telos. It's a word that means the end of the age or the end of it all. Jesus is taking them back to that verse in verse 3 of chapter 24 when they ask the question, when will the end be? And he answers that question right here in this particular scripture in verse 14. He's saying this is what it's going to be like. Then he begins to unfold for us a lot of information that's really, really helpful. Now, notice in verse 11 what it says if you're looking in your scriptures. And many will be offended. Many will be offended. Have you ever noticed that that people are easily offended today? Have you noticed they're getting more and more easily offended than they ever have been? I'm going, people get offended and go, really? You're, You're upset about that? People are living a little bit more on the edge of of emotional edge and not really knowing how to respond and how to react in situations, and so they typically react wrong. I mean, the best example for me is I know for a fact 
that 10 years ago, people were not that much on an edge on the, on the highways as they are today. And I see people, we were, we were getting on the highway, we were trying to get over, there was nowhere to go, it was an exit lane, you know, and you had to get off the next exit, and, and Tammy was trying to get over, trying to get over, and she's got her blinker on, she's slowing down, and, and people are speeding up, and there's this one demon-possessed woman. <laughs> and she's got this little blue Subaru, you know, and, I, and, I, and I'm watching, I'm thinking, are you serious? And she's honking, and she's giving us the dirty look and hand gestures, and I'm thinking, you know, are you serious? So, you know, we just, we got to get in. I said, Tammy, just go up like three cars, and we'll get in there. So she goes up there, gets in very easily, and we get in, we're driving along, and all of a sudden, here comes the lady on our right, the demon-possessed lady. And she comes driving by, and guess what she's doing? She doesn't want to let us in the left lane, but she's getting in that lane that we were in because she's exiting. Now, you know the Greek word for that, don't you? Dumb. That's dumb. Why do you do that? And I think it's a condition of our world that we're living in right now. People are easily offended. Also, people betray one another in our day like never before. Loyalty seems to be at an all-time low. These are marks of what's happening to a society globally. And it says they will hate one another. And this rising up instead of loving one, if you think about it, think about how these parallel the ministry of Jesus. When he says, well, they'll be offended, and Jesus says, just turn the other cheek. Rather than strike back, no, you turn the other cheek. And then it says, they will betray one another. And Jesus talked about, let your yes be yes, let your no be no, be straightforward with people. They will hate one another. No, Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. And we see the marks of the, of the last days are just the opposite of the teaching and the ministry of Jesus Christ. So what causes lawlessness in our world? Well, one thing we could say is the, is the lack or the absence of good government. In Romans chapter 13, the Bible tells us something about government. It says all government has been established by God and for God. Okay, now that's good government. When God establishes government, but it says that is, if we rebel against that, if we revolt against government, it doesn't bear the sword in vain. In other words, it can execute judgment on us. But what if we're living in a bad government, what do we do? Well, we do what, what uh, the Bible says that, it, that takes place when they were preaching the gospel there in the book of Acts, preaching the gospel there in the book of John, and they were arrested for preaching, and they said, never, you can't preach the gospel anymore. And here's what they said. We must obey God rather than men, but you decide what is right. Here's what they're saying. Ultimately, we're always going to do what God says, but we will submit to your authority. And if you think that preaching the gospel is an arrestable offense, then we will submit to that. You see, that's coming under the understanding of of how we operate within this worldview that we have. I may not like the government I am in, but I'm going to respect it at least it's laws, but I'm going to always obey God. I'm going to obey God. If I can change law, I will change law. If I can make a difference, I will make a difference. Now, what's happening in our world right now, and and we're pretty isolated from it. When you live in, in Orange County, California, you're isolated from a lot of things. You really are. We're not living in Detroit, for example. When we see the headlines about what's happening in Detroit, how you can buy whole neighborhoods for $30,000, it's pretty amazing. And you say, well, you should go buy one. Well, what are you going to do with it? Right? There's nobody there. There's no business. There's nothing there. 
I want to show you something a little closer at hand. I want to show you some actual footage from Oakland, California. Let's just take a minute, watch this video, and then I'll give some reflection on it. Tonight at 8, after our Stanley Roberts showed you YouTube video of a sideshow where drivers took over Interstate 280 in San Francisco, he received a viewer email that included new and shocking video that will leave you wondering what is going on in Oakland, as we see in this edition of People Behaving Badly. In case you missed it, here it is in slow motion. And if you look carefully, you can see the muzzle flash from a gun being fired in the air repeatedly. It is literally the wild, wild west on the mean streets of Oakland, with no respect for other people or the police. And apparently, no fear of a camera. What are we doing out here, though? Sideshow City, bro. This guy in a black jacket, holding in plain view. When someone asked him to show it how it works, he put in a clip and fires the gun in the air. And no one in the crowd even flinches, including this woman walking around appearing to be into her cell phone. In a different YouTube video, this CHP cruiser takes a bottle. Effie rolls up on an illegal sideshow, and two officers quickly leave the area, all the while taking more bottles. All the videos I'm showing you, believe it or not, are uploaded on YouTube, including this one involving an Alameda County Sheriff deputy. And in case you're wondering, 5-0 is slang for police. They taunt the deputy to join in on a sideshow to do donuts. Then they realize they actually outnumber the deputy. They began to dance around the cruiser and even kicking the car. Then someone in the crowd yells, as another person kicks the car. Then the deputy leaves the area because of safety reasons as the crowd pelts the cruiser with bottles. And this final YouTube video starts off with drivers rolling on Foothill Boulevard, blowing stop signs and red lights. Often driving on the opposite side of the road. Except at one point in this video, we'll stop it right here, this is a shoe. But to the left of the screen, obscured by the car headlight, is a body. It's the body of Emeryville resident Jose Soda, who was just run over. According to the YouTube post, he was still alive, but died shortly thereafter. So now you know why I call Oakland the Wild Wild West. In Oakland, Stanley Roberts. Cron 4 News. You look at it and you really find yourself kind of shocked. Because you think, well, that's there. It can't be here. Last year I did an interview for the History Channel on the end of the world. And they had a quantum physics expert. They had, uh, from UCLA, they had some different uh, people from different walks of life, archaeologists, and I was the biblical expert. And after three hours of being interviewed by the History Channel, he said, hey, this is off the record, but i got to ask you a question. What is it that scares you? What is it that keeps you up at night? And I didn't even think about that question ahead of time. I didn't know it was coming, but instantly out of my mouth came the words, when lawlessness becomes mainstream. 
That's what scares me. That's what the Bible says is happening in the last days. Why? Well, the other cause of lawlessness is demonic spirits who are trying to disrupt the world. You realize that when we're disrupted, we don't want to preach the gospel. For example, if I ask you, hey, we're going to take a team of people, we're going to go to Oakland and, and, and speak and tell people about Jesus Christ, would you go? And we're going to do it at night. Would you go? You say, well, I'm not going. I don't want to go there. It's not safe. I can't go there. And we could really kind of debate whether it would be effective to go anyway. But I think you see this tension that we live in. Also, prophetic timetable. You know, we're living in a timetable that's set by God. Jesus said that there is, a, there is a time that God brings certain things into place and into play. We're, we're poised right now with Iran and Russia uh, with the invasion that's given in Ezekiel 38 and 39. We're on that doorstep. We, we look at our, at our world and we say, what's going on here? Let me take you to another passage, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verses 3 and 4. And here's what it says. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, that's called the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin. Now the man of sin is the Antichrist. When he is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or is worshipped, so that he takes his seat or sits as God in, and I put in parenthesis, the third temple. See, there is not a Jewish temple right now. There have been two, and already plans are underway for a third one. But when he takes his seat in that third temple, he's going to declare himself as God. And that temple is going to be in Jerusalem. He shows himself, says, I'm God. Now, we have not seen that happen in our past. We have not seen it in our present. We don't even have a temple for him, anyone, to sit in and say that, a Jewish temple. Well, let me take you to a headline. And the, the internet is replete with this. You can search this out. Uh, all different news agencies have grabbed it. Uh, here's the one that I, I, I brought up for your attention because it says it so succinctly. Israeli minister calls for the building of the third temple. Now, if you don't think that caused controversy, because he said it's going to be built on the temple mount next to the dome, the Islamic dome. Because that's the site of the first two temples. Now, if you stop and think about that, is that something that, that actually brings people uh, in, in terms of consternation and conflict in that, in that era, in that age? Absolutely. And yet, prophetically, the Bible says that temple has to be built and Jews will return to worship. Let me show you another video. This is a video from uh, Turkey. It's an interesting one. It's, um, it's a hologram. The, the prime minister of Turkey, who has been really, really um, a bad leader to his people, um, has, um, couldn't make it to a meeting, so he created a way he could be there. Let me just show you this.
Sevgili izleyiciler, çok değerli kardeşlerim, sevgili yol arkadaşlarım, hanımefendiler, beyefendiler, İstanbul'dan güzel İzmir'i en kalbi muhabbetlerimle selamlıyorum. İzmir'in tüm ilçelerine, İzmir'deki tüm kardeşlerime buradan selam ve sevgilerimi oluyorum. İzmir Büyükşehir Bölümü'ne başlar edeyimiz. 11 yıl ulaştırma, denizcilik ve haberleşme bakanlığımızı yapmış. Değerli kardeşim, yol arkadaşım Binali Bey'e bu anlamlı buluşmayı sağladığı için, hologram görüntü vasıtasıyla bizleri buluşturduğu için yürekten teşekkür ediyorum. İzmir çok büyük bir değişim altındadır. Binali Bey de bugün açıklanacak İzmir İlçe Belediye Başkan adaylarımızla inşallah İzmir'de çok farklı bir sonuca hep birlikte imzamızı Now there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with hologram technology at all. And yet, isn't it interesting that scripture points us to this, this figure in the last days who will rise up, who will, who will be seen by all the world, who will be worshipped by all the world, this antichrist figure. And when I saw that, my first thought was, wow, this, the technology we live in, it makes it possible for things we read about in Revelation to really be true. Let me take you to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and let's go to uh, verses 7 through 10. Now, here's what it says, for the mystery of lawlessness. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So lawlessness is, was in motion in the first century. Only he, that's the Holy Spirit, only he who now restrains will do so until he, that is the Holy Spirit, is taken out of the way. And the lawless one, then the lawless one, will be revealed, will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11 where it says every eye will see him. He's going to come back as a conquering hero. The coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth. You see, people can talk about truth, but there is truth that man understands, but there is the truth that God gives, that lawgiver truth, that they might be saved. You know, what it tells us here in Thessalonians is that, that God is going to remove the restraining of evil in our world in the last days. And I believe that removal is the removal of the church and the power and the presence of the Spirit on planet Earth so that literally the world is wide open for evil. It happened once before in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3 where God came to a place where he said, my spirit shall not always strive with all flesh. In other words, there comes a point at which I say enough. It's very similar to what we read in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 37 where it says, as in the days of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. So God says, you remember what it was like in Noah when the flood came and my spirit didn't strive with man? That's going to be what it's like in the days of the coming of God. Now, how does the Holy Spirit restrain evil? I think, first of all, by truth, by the Word of God. Every time you speak the Word of God to somebody, you're restraining evil. 
Every time you lift up Jesus, you're restraining evil. You are an avenue of good for society. You are salt in a, in a, in a place that needs salt. It needs flavor. It needs the flavor of God. Also, we restrain evil by our, the worldwide presence of believers. Every time someone comes to faith in Christ, it increases this footprint of good and righteousness in our world, which should motivate us to tell people the story of Jesus Christ wherever we go. We ought to speak the name of Jesus. Remember, there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of what is it? Jesus. We need to speak that name of Jesus. No one was ever saved by any other name. Also, your courage to stand for God. When you stand up for God, you know what? You stop evil in its tracks. You say to somebody, no, that's not right. This is what God says. This is what we're going to do. But when you tolerate evil, then evil feels free to march down Main Street. You see, we are in a battle against the encroaching darkness that seeks to destroy the lives of our friends and our family, destroy the lives of our children and our children's children. We are in a battle against spiritual forces of darkness that twist the truth. But I have good news. They will not prevail against the church. Amen? Jesus said, I will build my church. And not even the gates of hell will prevail against my church. We will rise to new heights of courage and greater levels of faith. We will fuel the fires of evangelism and bring thousands into the kingdom of God. That is what we're called to do and that is what we will do. We cannot stand idly by and watch the dark clouds of evil as it consumes our convictions, erodes our values, and crushes our spirit. We are called to do something better. We're called to be better. Our calling is a divine calling. You are a child of the living God. Amen? You are a son and a daughter of God. You have the very thumbprint of God all over you. His DNA runs through your system. We are called to something better, something nobler. Our calling is divine calling, and we need to renew our courage. We need to go out into the world that we find ourselves in, right here in Orange County, and we need to stand for Jesus Christ. We need to pay the price of a good soldier. We need to, we need to influence our world for Jesus Christ. You know, yesterday we were a sponsor in the 5K uh, run, the Semper 5K run, that, that benefited military families. And as we were walking down the street, I, I just reflected with my wife, all the, the runner's bags had influence on it. I didn't even know what influence was. It was just a cool blue bag with a logo on it, and right below it was our website. And I thought, here's 500 people plus all their family, maybe 1,500, 2,000 people there who saw that. And then my mind went back just a little bit earlier to the Plymouth Day run when about 12 to 1,500 people received the same runner's bag because we were a sponsor in influencing that. Then my mind went back to the July uh, 4th run, the firecracker run, where we did the same thing for another 1,000, 1,200 people. And I began to realize that what's happening is we're sowing seeds into this community and this world in which we live, and we're going to see a harvest you know what I love is I love Haggai chapter 2 and verse 18 and God, you know, everything looks bleak. You know, it's kind of the end of the world kind of stuff and God says, wait a minute, the seed is in the barn. The seed is in the barn and I'm going to bless you. 
And, and as I was reading that, God spoke to me, and I just wanted to tell you what he said to me. He said, get the seed out of the barn. Get it in the ground. This is not a time to store seed. This is a time to sow seed. This is a time to see. You can count on it. You know, I want to just ask you about an idiom. Here's an idiom. Uh, don't count your chickens before they're what? Hatched. It's not biblical. Is it? Isn't that walk by sight and not by faith? God says, no, you count your chickens. How many chickens do you believe in me for? You see what I'm saying? We have to change our thinking. Because, see, you have a conversation with the wrong person. You're having a conversation with yourself. And you always get mixed up when you talk to yourself. You try to figure it out. You don't know what's going on. you got to quit talking to yourself. Start talking to God. What is God's perspective on this world? God's, God's uh, look out on this thing. And see what God has to say. we got to look to the future in faith. What is God going to do with the seed? we got a seed right here in Influence Church, and we've got to take that seed out. We've got to see what God sees. We have to be bold, and we have to be brave. In fact, as the Bible says, if God is for you, what? Who can be against you? Nobody stands against God. Nobody stands against it. See, God told Joshua, be strong and be of good courage. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know, you say, well, all these, these end of the world kind of things, they kind of scare me. Me too. I don't like them. But you realize Jesus said more about his return than he did about heaven? wonder why. Because we have a tendency to get complacent and comfortable we get in our holy huddles and we think everything's just working great for us. God says, no, I want to shake you out of it. I want you to understand what's really going on in your world. God is with you wherever you go. Listen to what it says in Titus chapter 2 and verses 13 and 14. We are to be looking for the blessed hope. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great and God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you looking for him? I'm looking for Christ. I was having a conversation with someone just a minute ago, and we were talking about how, how life is difficult and how business is difficult and how things grind you down, you know. And I said, you know, sometimes the grinding down is to get us to the end of ourself. So we understand we can't do it without him. It's all about God, amen? It's not about us, it's about God. And so it says, the glorious appearing of our great uh, God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us, look at this, from every lawless deed. Anybody here a lawbreaker? Raise your hand. Let's just see your hands. I am a lawbreaker. I have broken the law of God. Have you? Just keep them up. Hard to admit sin, isn't it? Anybody doesn't have their hand up, look around. That is the Messiah. He has shown up. She has shown up today. Keep it up. Just keep it up a second. Anybody's hand getting heavy? If it is, just wave a little bit. Need to work out. You know why it's hard to hold your hand up a long time? Because your hand isn't made to be up in the air a long time. It's made to hang at your side. You know why sin is heavy? It's not made for you. You were made for more than that. You were made for God's glory. You were made for God's praise. You're a child of the living God. Don't ever forget it. When you forget it, just lift your hand up and see how long you can hold it up and realize that you are made for more than sin. You are made for God's glory. 
it says here that we are, and purify us, you can put your hand down, and purify us uh, for himself, his own special people. Do you know you're special? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm special. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm special. Say it loud. Say it like you believe it. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm special. One more time, I'm special because I'm created in the image of God. I've been saved, filled with the Spirit, and I have a great destiny. I have a great purpose, and God has a great plan, and I'm going to give Him glory. Stand to your feet and let's give Him glory. Would you do that right now? Give God glory. Put your hands together. It won't hurt you a bit. Give God glory. God is good, amen? All the time, God is good. Even when you don't think He's good, He's good.